I don't have to do that this morning because Paul did it for us. In fact, today's passage is an illustration that Paul uses. We've been studying through the book of Galatians, um, where Paul is writing to uh, some friends of his in a region of the, of the world uh, that's called Galatia. And he went up there with this message. Believe on Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You receive salvation. Then that will result in obedience. Since he left, false teachers have begun uh, to come into the churches and change that message in a way that seems small, but Paul says it's huge. They teach, believe in the Lord Jesus and then obey, and the result of that will be you receive salvation or eternal life. That's what Paul is, is fighting against, so he says things over and over like, justification does not come through works of the law. This is a gift you must receive, not something you can earn. And so today, as Paul sort of preaches this written sermon, he's going to use an illustration to help his audience grasp the purpose of the law. Because where we finished, Paul has just been talking about an answer to this question. So if salvation doesn't come from obedience to the law, why did God give us the law to obey to begin with? So Paul's going to use this illustration that was very familiar to his audience, though it might be lost on us. He brought it up a couple of paragraphs ago. He's going to compare the law to a slave master um, called a paedagogos in Greek. Slavery was super common in Paul's day. Um, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it was, a, it was a way of life. The historians tell us on the Italian peninsula itself, the boot of Italy, uh, 20 to 30% of the population were slaves in Paul's day. Um, in the Roman Empire as a whole, there were approximately 3 million slaves. And they did all kinds of work. Um, someone might have a slave who basically would be our version of an accountant. Um, their kids' teachers were slaves. And one common like, job for slaves to do was child care. When a wealthy Roman man had a son, that son would be given first into the care of slaves that we would call nannies or nurses. He would grow up a little bit, be taken away from them, and put under the care of a paedagogos, this kind of slave who followed that or led that son around 24-7. And his job was basically to beat some self-discipline into that young man, to catch him doing anything wrong, uh, and to keep him out of any trouble. And stereotypically speaking, they were harsh taskmasters, and they had the authority of the boy's father to discipline them physically, severely. Uh, and Paul's going to say the purpose of the law was to be that kind of slave master over Israel. So even though Israel was, had a very special relationship to God, from a practical 
state, it was kind of hard to tell. In that Roman, wealthy Roman family, that, that boy who was a son and an heir looked like a slave. In fact, he was very much under other slaves. He was sort of enslaved by the slaves until such a time where he came of age. And when he came of age, he got new freedoms. And he was over the slaves that used to be over him. And he could make his own decisions even while his father was still alive. That is the illustration Paul's going to use. Uh, We're going to read the last verse of Galatians chapter 3 and then the first 11 verses of chapter 4. And we'll see what the Lord has for us in those verses. They read this way in the New American Standard Bible. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, even though he is owner of everything. But he's under guardians, managers, until the date set by the father. So also we. While we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive, uh, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by which nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, How is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I've labored labored over you in vain. The last verse of chapter 3 probably should be studied with the rest of chapter 3. Probably should have done this last week. Because uh, Paul was talking about some amazing things that only faith does that the law can't do. And the last one of those things is because by faith you belong to Christ. You're in Christ. It makes you, even if you're a Gentile like we are, it makes you one of Abraham's descendants, faith does, and it makes you an heir according to the promises God gave to Abraham. That we get to be heirs of God is an astounding truth. We get to inherit God's estate. If you start to make a list of the things that God owns, (laughs) it's a lot of things. We get to be, we're told elsewhere, co-heirs with Christ. Now, everything we're going to read today is Paul's explanation of what he said right there. That's why I saved it for today, because it does go with that list of things faith does, but it's also the introduction to his illustration for the purpose of the law today. Because in the, in the first four verses of chapter 4, Paul explains that 
God gave Israel the law and for a limited time only to be that paedagogos, that kind of um, school marm slash slave master over Israel. So Israel was like, in this illustration, God's special son and child, but it wasn't grown up enough yet to handle that relationship. So God set the law over top of Israel to show Israel what it was doing wrong. But Paul says some really striking things about this. It shows up here. It's probably even clearer in verses 8 and 9. But Paul says this. um, You were slave-like sons under the law. And we, while we were children, we were held in bondage. And the Greek just says under the elements of the world. And there's some disagreement about what the elemental things of the world means. Your Bibles might say something like the basic teachings of the world or something like that. I'm not going to explain all of the different uh, ideas about what this means. They all will come back eventually to this, though. Here's what Paul is saying. The, The whole world, outside of biblical Christianity operates under these basic spiritual principles, the ABCs of religious thought. It doesn't matter where you live, what religion you're a part of, the whole world thinks the spiritual world works like this. There's a God out there somewhere, or there are gods behind the scenes all around us. And as human beings, what we need to do is figure out how we need to behave to get that spirit world to act the way we want it to. Right? We've got to figure out how to behave so that either the God or the gods or the universe or whatever like blesses us, treats us well instead of punishes us or curses us. That's the way I just described all of world religion to you. And here's what is striking about Paul, what Paul says. Paul says, when God gave Israel the law, it made Israel play along in those basic spiritual principles. In some ways, Paul says the law gave Israel a lot in common with the pagan world. Because if you look at what the pagan world's doing, they're just trying to figure out how to get the spiritual forces to do for us what we want The difference with Israel is they knew the great advantage is they knew the one true God. And he gave them, if you want to play by the spiritual rules the rest of the world plays by, here's my list of expectations you need to follow to get me to be on your side. But the problem is no one can do it, right? That's what Paul has said previously. We will earn the curses if we try to play by those basic spiritual principles. Behaviorally speaking, while it was under the law, Israel was stuck. They were slaves to this impossible-to-please taskmaster called the law. And even though they had the right list and the right God, Trying to please that God through that list was an impossible task. 
That's why the law's main purpose, this is called the custodial purpose of the law. It showed Israel, and then the rest of us, while we look at Israel, it shows all of us it's impossible to please God through our behavior. The law does not give anyone the power to be released from us, from the real problem, which is me and my sin. So, under the law, God says Israel was like those slave-like sons where we know they're a son, but they don't look any different from the rest of the slaves. That's what Paul is saying. Israel had a lot in common with the pagan world as it operated under the law. But, Paul said, when the fullness of time came, and we could probably talk all morning about that phrase, but when things were just right, when the law had done its purpose, when, when the, the, uh, the governments of the world were just right, when the languages were just perfect, when everything was just right, God sent forth his son, born fully human and born under the law. And he fulfilled the law perfectly. He's the only person, Jesus Christ, the only person who ever deserved eternal life based on how he lived. And he came, verse 5, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. Paul, Notice what Paul says right there. Jesus came not merely to redeem us from the penalty our sins deserve. That's true. He came to save us from the law itself. The law we can't please. The law we can't fulfill. And he redeems us. He, the purchase price of his life redeems us and gives us the adoption as sons. If you are here this morning and happen to be a female, this is one place where you should hang on to the masculine in the pronouns or in the nouns here. Because ladies, you want to receive the adoption as a son in this context. In the rest of this, if you want to think of Paul saying sons and daughters, I'm great with it. But Paul just taught when we're in Christ, there's no male and female. We all have equal access. And what we have equal access to is the adoption as sons. Here's why that's important. In Paul's day, um, a Roman, wealthy Roman man could adopt someone from outside of his family and give him the full adoption as a son and make him a full heir. But the adoption of a son... And the inheritance of a son was way different than the adoption of a daughter or an adoption of a, of a girl. I'm not telling you that was right. I'm just telling you that's the way it was. And what Paul is saying here, no matter if you're male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, when you are placed in Christ by believing in what he did for you, you receive the full adoption of a son. Full inheritance rights. And the coming of Christ was the coming of age moment that allows people to stop being slaves to those elementary principles, trying 
to please God, trying to get God on my side by the way I behave, the way the rest of the world tries to operate, the coming of age moment where that son stopped being slave-like and took his seat in freedom and in a new relationship with his father. Faith in Christ is that coming of age moment where we're no longer slave-like. We're son-like. We're his kids. Christ didn't redeem us to make us slaves, but to make us sons. The Father adopts us when we believe in Jesus Christ. And then, because you are sons, Paul says, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I want to stop right there. This word right here, Abba, it's actually an Aramaic word. It's not a Greek word. It gets transliterated into the Greek, um, and then it just gets transliterated into the English, which just means the word sounds. You pronounce it Abba, so we spell it A-B-B-A. Here's why that gets transliterated instead of translated. Because we don't have a word that matches Abba. It, we often hear it's like saying daddy. You ever hear that? Saying we, we can call God Abba is like we can call God daddy. Not exactly. Because that's too childish of a word. When our children are little, they often call us daddy. And it communicates warmth. Right? Uh, intimacy familiarity. You don't just call anyone daddy. You call daddy daddy, right? But we grow out of that for the most part. They didn't grow out of the word Abba. So it carries all of the familiarity and intimacy without the childish part. Adults called their dads Abba. In fact, outside of the Bible and the historical record, they have found like contracts that have the word Abba in it, right? You would never, if you buy a piece of land from your dad, you would, you'd never see the word daddy in the contract, right? This Abba is different. So here's what Paul is saying. Remember, he's making this argument. Stop thinking of God like your slave master. He adopted you and you can call him Abba. And look at what he says. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is. God sent the Holy Spirit into your heart to convince you that you are intimately close to your father. A slave could please the slave master as well as possible, but he couldn't call him Abba. Paul says, God in your heart wants you to know your heavenly father loves you as much as if you've had children. Did that change your capacity to love? Did you see this little human being and go, holy smokes, I thought, like I had a dog and I really thought I loved that dog. Then I had a child and I had no idea how much I could love. Paul says, the Holy Spirit, yes, he convicts you of sin. Yes, he has other ministries, but he wants 
He wants to cry out from your heart, Abba, toward God. Oh, the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and our faith in it. In this whole section where Paul is saying, stop trying to earn your position with God, this is why we could never get to the point where we could call God Abba, like Daddy, Dad. This, if the slave, uh, the son-like slave relationship where he's underneath that, uh, that Pythagoras tutor, if that little son, he couldn't run to his biological dad and say, Dad, let me tell you how mean that guy is being to me. You know what the Roman dad would say? Don't talk to me. Get back there and obey your tutor. That's his job. And if you guys have problems, I'm on his side, not yours. When we come to faith in Christ, like that's what the law was. There was a separation between God and people. We, people could, we could try to go to God and say, hey, I sure would like to be in a good relationship with you. God would say, hey, go back and read my law. Obey all that and then come talk to me. That's what life under the law is like. But when Christ was crucified on our behalf, when our punishment was carried out, God adopts us. We come of age. And now we can call him Abba. We're fully adopted. That's why, Paul says, you're no longer a slave. You're a son. Believe it. Act like it. It's also why in the rest of the passage, and really in the entire book of Galatians, but especially in these verses right here, Paul wants his friends he's writing to to know that having a law-based, law-like mentality is not Christian maturity. It's not a step forward. It's a step backwards. He's telling his friends, when you have that mindset where you don't think you can talk to God unless you're at a certain level of obedience right now, you're not being a mature Christian. You're stepping back into toddlerhood. You're going back to that time before you came of age. You're your relationship to your father will only be what it's supposed to be if you understand he has made himself approachable to you. The you you are. He's not waiting till you get obedient enough that he can finally let you in the room. This is where Paul says, that, that's exactly how religious pagans act. He says, when you didn't know God, you were slaves to those things which really are no gods. Galatian, most of the Galatians were Gentiles, non-Jews. When you were trying to serve the God of this and the God of that and the goddess of those things, when you're trying to figure out how to get them on your side, you were, you were slaves to that list of stuff those gods and goddesses want to don't treat 
God that way. He says, now, now that you have come to know God, and then Paul stops himself. He wants to say, now that you have come to know God really well, and then he says, no, 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 that's not exactly right. Rather, now that you have become known by God, you didn't, get, you didn't climb the ladder of behavior to the point where now me and God can be colleagues because I don't drink like I used to. My language is cleaned up. Whatever else has changed in my life, now God and I can be cool and I've gotten to know him. That's not how you get to know God. Paul says, you have been known by God. He did everything it took to know you for all of eternity and that was true the moment you believed. Before you changed anything in your life. You have become known by God. And then now Paul says, so why do you want to go back into that weak and worthless way of life where you think God can't talk to me unless I'm behaving at a certain level? Paul says in verse 10 and verse 11, I see or I hear of you guys observing the feasts and the seasons and the days from the Jewish law and it breaks my heart. Not that there's anything wrong with obeying the Sabbath or going to a Passover meal. We've had one right here in this room. But Paul says, when I see you guys doing it, I know it's a, it's a symptom of a bigger problem. You're doing that stuff to make God like you. You're trying to do that stuff so that God will finally approve of you. But your approval by God is not based on your law track record. It's based on his law track record, which was perfect. So stop it. Listen, this still passes for Christian maturity. And it's spiritual infancy. The question behind this passage that Paul is asking his friends in Galatia is, do you consider yourself a son or a slave? And I want you to consider the answer to that question. When you think about the way you relate to the God of the universe, the way you picture that, do you think Think about your relationship with God more like a relationship with a loving father who, will accept, who has already decided to accept you permanently or is it more like a slave master that you're hoping to gain approval from someday? Well, let's talk about for a minute what it means to be a child of God. We don't make ourselves children of God. He makes us his kids. What kind of kids does God make, though? God doesn't make spoiled brats. How do you spoil a kid? 
You spoil a kid by giving him or her everything he or she wants and by never correcting them, right? If I never correct my children, we say we'll spoil them. If every mistake my kids make, I convince myself they're not really actually making mistakes. It's actually someone else's fault. It's the bad influences, right? So I want to talk a little bit about like our responsibility as children of God. Positionally, in Christ, we have somehow already been perfected. But conditionally, like in our daily lives, we still got some work to do. Right? What I mean is our position in Christ is so secure the moment we believe legally, positionally, eternally, we are somehow, we bear the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But we should not be satisfied with our current condition of godliness, behavior. Do you remember this slide from some weeks ago from Lincoln Berean? The way, the way we, we want to think about sanctification, discipleship, the Christian life, is this. I used to be stuck in the elementary teachings of the world. There's a God out there. If I'm good enough, He'll probably like me. Maybe He'll let me into heaven someday. I learned that that doesn't work. So I came to faith in Jesus Christ, and then instantly, bammo, my righteousness never wanes because my positional righteousness in Jesus Christ is His. It's not mine. And one of the weaknesses with that slide, I said when we looked at this, is this line right here should be like 375 stories up in the stratosphere. Right? But our screen's only so big. Because we have eternal righteousness. Now, when I came to know Christ, I hadn't improved anything children, healthy children, grow. Right? How many of you have little marks on, your, on, a, on, a, on a doorway somewhere at your house checking to see how your kids grow? Because healthy kids grow. That's true of God's kids too. How do we grow? We grow, this says truth right there. The more of God's truth we learn, the more we trust Him, the more truth we understand. Wait a minute, He tells me the best way to live. I believe that's best. That's how my conditional righteousness starts to get a little closer and a little closer to my positional righteousness. I don't want you to think now, I told you I, I didn't need to do an illustration this morning, but I'm going to do one anyway. One that I think might work better than slaves and Pythago Goss, and we don't know what any of that stuff means. Most of you know I was a basketball coach for a, lo for a long time. One of my favorite things to do as a basketball coach was watch game film of games we had already played. 
right? And what I would do is spend time, I was trying to find instances of our kids making mistakes. And you know what I would do with those mistakes? We would make little clips out of them. We would put them up on a big screen and show them to the whole team, right? Uh, Cedric, you're the only former player I have here, so you get to be the guinea pig today, uh, unless I'm missing someone. So I'd say, all right, watch Cedric here. We all know he's supposed to, he's supposed to go underneath this screen. He doesn't. He tries to go uh, over top of this screen. He gets caught by it. That's why he gives up a layup, and that stuff will get us beat. Now, why do I do that to Cedric in front of the whole team? Because I don't like him? Because I want everyone else to feel superior to Cedric and go home and tell their parents, Cedric goes over screens. I would never do that. I should be playing instead of Cedric. Parents don't need that kind of help. Okay, They believe that anyway. We have goals as a team. We're trying to you know, achieve the, uh, the glory of winning basketball games. So we want to catch each other making mistakes. Show that. Talk about what would be a better way to do that. Why? So we can all be better at this thing we want to be good at. So we can all grow. So maybe the next kid won't make the same mistake Cedric just did. And yes, I, I want to catch some times where he does things good too and show everybody, hey, this is the way it's supposed to be. Or maybe the next game, look, Cedric is learning. And we celebrate that. That's what film is for. Now, can that go wrong? I could be a bad coach and I could use that time to berate kids. Uh, and make it seem like I wish they weren't even on the team. And, and before long, the kids would wish that was true. I don't even want to play this anymore. It's not even fun. Or I could make another mistake. I could only make film clips of the highlights of the things kid do, kids do well. And I'll let you in on a little secret. When kids watch film, that's what they do. They just watch every time they score a basket and they watch it 1,200 times and they think they're watching film. But that, enough of me getting that off my chest. Uh, I could make clips of just people doing everything right and then I could, I could draw no mistakes to anyone's opinion and then when things go wrong in the next game, we can just blame the referees, right? Or, or the other kids or something like that. And you know what that would make me? That would make me a lousy coach. You know Why? Because I should care too much to just allow mistakes to happen and happen and happen and happen. Family. When I preach grace, I do not want to minimize the seriousness of your sin. It's not the same thing. May it never be. I don't want you to feel like that that I believe Galatians teaches that because your position in Christ is secure, that your condition down here doesn't matter. That's heresy. It's also ridiculous and stupid. Because we all know sin has all kinds of consequences and we can't control them. So, 
how do we think about this God has, who has adopted us? How do you think about the God who has adopted you if you have trusted in Jesus Christ? Do you feel like he's the coach you could never hope to please? You don't even want to go watch film with him. So you just kind of pretend he's not watching? Or do you believe he cares enough to like help you? It's Father's Day. If you had a good dad, he cared enough to tell you when enough was enough. He cared enough to tell you that's not what's best for you. I can't let you just keep doing that and thinking it's okay. Isn't that what a good dad does? Folks, you've been adopted. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you've been adopted. Full air. Someday you're going to share in the whole place. But your dad still cares enough about you to sit down with you, invite you to come in and talk about your mistakes. Why? Because he has goals for you. His goal, by the way, for you is his glory. But he wants to sit down and say, hey, this is not the way you should do that. Here's a better way so that next year, the next game, the next trial, Film time with God will be a little different. Hey, God, like I did it that time. Last time, I did this other thing. This time, I did this thing. You're growing me. But we won't go. We won't go meet with a God that we think is the awful coach, the abusive father, or any kind of awful coach or father the one who thinks nothing matters and they no longer care. When I went to college, I remember telling my high school assistant basketball coach, my coach will not stay off my case. He yells at me all the time. And he said, that's a good thing. When he stops yelling at you, that means he no longer cares. Okay? Oh, my coach was not a great... Uh, you know, he wasn't God-like. But if God doesn't care about your sin anymore, what, what kind of God would that be? What kind of dad would that be if he just pretended you never did anything wrong even when you clearly did stuff wrong? We don't, even, we don't, we don't want to be that kind of parent. We shouldn't want that kind of parent. We don't have that kind of parent. But... His evaluation is over. You have made the team. And he won't, he's not taking you back to the orphanage. He wants to help you and grow you. But he is not still making an evaluation of whether or not you get to play. Now, your sins can have consequences. God does put people on the bench in different ways. Calls fouls if we want to push this illustration too far. but he loves you. You're his kid. You're his kid. So both of those things can be true. He can care very much about your sins without making you a slave. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a child, not a slave. Believe it. Act like it. Live like it. It's the only way you can actually grow. 
Stepping back into the law does not lead to growth. It just leads to either condemnation or hypocrisy. Let's pray. Our Father, on this Father's Day, we are so grateful that we have such a good dad. You told us, you want to convince us, your spirit, that we can call you Abba. That we can come to you like a dad we are sure loves us because we can be sure you love us. How do we know? You killed Jesus so that you could adopt us. What more proof do we need? So God, help us out as we navigate uh, the difference between our position and our condition. Help us not to confuse the two. Help us not to seep back into a law-based lifestyle because you are not the mean coach. You are not the impossible slave driver. You're our Abba. You want to help us. You have already helped us eternally and adopted us. And your evaluation of us is, is over as far as whose we are. Thank you that in some ways this game we are playing is already over. Like we've already won because our, our team captain, the Lord Jesus, can't be beat. They like the game's still on, but we're up by infinity points. But the way we play matters. Thank you for being a good enough dad to care about our sins, our failures, and our victories and successes. Grow us as your kids. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand up with us and let's finish our time together.